1 Timothy chapter 3. If you've been with us, you know we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy's book is a book written by the Apostle Paul to a young Timothy, a young leader that he has left with the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches in the area of Ephesus to really guide and instruct those churches. So as we look at the book of 1 Timothy, it's Paul's instructions to a young church leader to help him in how the church should run, how the church should function, and what they really should focus on. That brings us today to 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. And I've titled our message this morning, God's Support System. God's Support System. August 1st, 2007, Shortly after 7 p.m., a great disaster took place in Minneapolis, Minnesota. On this day, many people were driving home from a long day of work, and without warning, the road beneath them gave way and fell out from beneath them. This was the day that I-35 bridge collapsed. And you remember, maybe if you were around at this time, uh, the big news story was, of course, People were just driving home, a normal day of work. This bridge, of course, uh, the one on the left, is the one that just gave way in the middle. And and to see a huge structure like that, one that is supposed to be strong, able to carry a lot of weight, and has done that for years and years, but then just give way, something that baffled all of us at the time. In that bridge collapse, what happened was 111 vehicles went down uh, with it taking 13 lives and injuring 145 people. Here's a security footage camera as as how that happened. Yeah, could you imagine driving across that bridge and as you're driving, you just, everything falls apart on you. And the devastation of that uh, in a picture is seen as something severe, very difficult for us to even understand. If we were one of the ones there, uh, or seeing it would be uh, shaking us and saying, oh, I'm glad I wasn't there. I wasn't on the bridge. But what happened? What happened is the question. It is a, a, was a very strong bridge. How did this happen? Now, that was the question after this event took place, and it took many months of investigation for the researchers to come up with an answer, but the answer uh, came to be these support plates. You know, the support system of the bridge is built on these support plates and different uh, foundation structure. And pictures were looked at, and it was shown that these support plates already started to bend and break. And the support system of the bridge gave way. What was supposed to be holding up this, this structure went out, didn't do what it was supposed to do. And because of that, we were left with this destruction of the bridge. Now, why do we talk about this? The reason we talk about this is because as we come in our text to chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, what we find is that Paul is starting to instruct Timothy on the support system of God, the structure that is holding up what God calls the most important, the truth of his word. And if we let that support system, that structure fall apart, God's truth falls to the wayside. The world around us will not hear the truth. The the truth will be distorted. It will be not given in the way that God clearly gives in Scripture. But what is this support system? What is this structure that we're talking about? We're talking about the church, God's family, 
God's household. And that's what we get to today in these brief, short verses of 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. He takes our attention right back to God's family. And he says, God's family is important because it's holding up what is so important to God, the truth of his word. And we do it as a family together. It's not one individual. It's us coming together. Um, let's look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. Remember where we've gone. In verses 1 through 13, we've talked about different characteristics of leadership in the church. The leaders of the pastors and what character quality they should have. Then last week, we talked about the leadership of deacons and the character quality. He, he keeps talking about character is important, character is important. And then he comes to this, this section of three verses that all of that character is nothing without the church's ability to, to bind together and hold up the truth of God's word. As we live out the character of God, that's what we're doing. We're holding up his truth. So our character plays into this. But let's look at 1 Timothy 3.14. says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm, again, this is Paul to Timothy. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the church, your family that you've given to us. And as we accept your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, you... you Help us to be born again into a new life and, God, to connect with other believers and to, to do it purposefully, to be part of that family that you've designed. Be with us this morning as we study your word and see what Paul has to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse that we focus in on uh, here is verse 15. If I delay, you may ought to know how one, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So he's talking about the church, God's church family. We're not talking about a building. A building, some would say the building is what the church is. I go to the church down the street. But we know that's not what the church is. The church is the gathered assembly of God's believing that have joined together for specific purposes. And those purposes are to glorify God, to worship him, to study who he is, and to teach the people around us about God. All of those things come out of what the church is about. But at the top has to be God, holding up his truth, holding up who he is, and loving him first and foremost. If we get those things out of order, our church gets in disarray. If we start to do things, but the, the, the motivation behind those things is not to glorify God, is to not hold up his truth, then our church can go in any direction that the people decide that it wants to go. But the truth has to be number one. What we take away from this passage today and we'd be challenged with is this idea that being a part of a faithful church is essential for all followers of Christ. Being a part of a faithful church is essential for all followers of Christ. And what, we, what sticks out in that phrase there is that it is essential. It is essential. It is not something that can be tossed aside and be thought of as, ah, oh, I can get to church, I can go to church if I want. You know, if there's something more important, then I'll do that. If there's something I enjoy more than church, then I'll do that. But if I got nothing else going and I wake up in time, then I'll get to church. 
and I'll be with the other fellow Christians. No, 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 that's not what we're seeing here. We're seeing in 1 Timothy that it's essential. The truth is that God gave us the church to hold up his truth. And as we meet together, as we join together, we do that. Each and every week as we worship, but it's more than just the worship service. I feel like as a pastor, I say this time and time again because it's so important. Our minds are so easily swayed to think, well, if I just get to that one service on Sunday morning, that means I'm really a church attender. I go. Well, that's not what Timothy's talking about. He's saying, be part of the family. Be part of the ministry. Be part of the relationships. You know, it's really hard to do all of those things if all we're doing is getting to that morning service. Yeah, I've been there before. You walk in, it's hard. You're trying to get to your seats. If you've got kids, you're trying to get your kids organized. And you don't have time to connect with people. You don't have time to live your Christian life with people. He's saying it's more than that. Our, our Christian family deserves more than just that one morning service of worship. It, it, it includes our life, giving our life to hold up the truth along with other people that are around us. Being a part of a faithful church is essential for all followers of Christ. It means it's more important than the Vikings games. It's more important than getting your lawn mowed. It's more important than enjoying a, a restful evening or morning of breakfast. It's more important than those things. Okay? Being a part of a faithful church is essential for all followers of Christ. And what we want to find and we'll see stick out through the text is a faithful church. A faithful church. Be a part of a faithful church. We here at Faith Baptist Church, we push forward in holding up the truth. We want to be faithful to God's word. And as we ask you to join with us to be faithful, we as a church are trying to be faithful to God. If there's an instance where you find, hey, I'm not sure if this is right, what the church is doing, we ask that you come and talk to us. We ask that you ask questions because we want to be clear to God's word and we want that to be what's guiding us. And as a church, we've got to be willing to study out what God's Word says and to be able to do what God's Word says. We're going to talk about some of those things. So what is a faithful church? That's what the question has to be for us. And today in the text, I think Paul lays out four descriptions of a faithful church for us. And so that's what I'm going to look at today. Number one, a faithful church seeks to follow God's instruction. Seeks to follow God's instructions. A couple months ago, my brother was getting rid of an old tent. It's an old tent, but to me it's a new tent. And he gave it to us, a tent from Cabela's. And just a couple weeks ago, we had the first time of trying to set that up. Now, you know what? No instructions to that tent. (laughs) So you know how that that goes. It goes trying to find what poles go into what place and then stepping back and saying, that that doesn't look right. What's going on here? We, we, We understand the importance of instruction, but here's the thing. What if we have the instruction, but we're not committed to following that instruction? Then we're in the same spot of of going nowhere. Okay, God's word tells us that we need to be faithful church seeking to follow God's instruction. Not just to know it, but to follow it and whatever that means. Let's look at verse 14. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. That's the phrase I want to look at. You may know how to behave in the household of God. What's he saying? He's saying that there's a right way and that there's a wrong way to behave in the household of God. This comes on the heels of just what he was talking about. The first half, first three quarters of this chapter is character. 
There's a right way and a wrong way. And he's saying, I want you to know what's right and not just to know it so that you can follow what's right. And if there are others among you who do not follow what's right, and he's not saying what's right in my eyes, he's saying what godly character is and what's right in God's eyes. And if the church people do not have, uh, are not committed to following God's character, then we have to take steps as a church to help them and to teach them and to bring them along. But he's saying, if I delay, I want you how, to know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what does that mean for us? That means that true believers should not be led by things other than God's word. Okay, True believers should not be led by things other than God's word. What shouldn't they be led by? First of all, they shouldn't be led by their feelings. By their feelings. Too often, uh, people that go to church will say, well, I, I like that because it made me feel good. Because, you know, I came away with, you know, joy. Don't get, don't hear me wrong, because I know when we study God's word, it inevitably brings emotion. But that emotion has to come from the truth of God's word. Not not from random things or a nice, you know, well-told story or some touching uh, story. Those things bring emotion that doesn't have any substance behind it. Our emotion has to come from the truth that is God's word. I think about it when we're singing songs. I mean, I'm emotional. I get emotional when we sing songs. And the reason is because it's talking about what Jesus did for me, that he died on the cross for me. And even just, just a couple minutes ago, I was thinking about the, the picture of Jesus standing in front of God with his hands, showing his, 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 his hands that have been uh, pierced for me. And, and think about yourself behind him and Jesus pleading your case because he's saying, no, he's with me. Look what I've done for him. I mean, those bring emotions, but we can't be led astray by false emotions or things that take us away from God's word. We can't let those things lead us. True believers should not be led away by false feelings. True believers should not be led away also by selfishness. The idea that I want what I want, and if it's not what the church wants or it's not what other people want, then they're wrong and I'm right. Okay, It's just about me at that point. The question is, what is the truth of God's word and how can we seek to love each other the way that God has told us we should? Those are the two greatest commands that God's given us. Love God the most, love your neighbor as yourself, think to care for one another and love one another. True believers shouldn't be led astray by those things that carry us in the wrong direction. So what should they be led by? True believers should be led by God's word and by God's example. God's word and God's example. What does that teach us? Is that God knows what love is. He shows us in his actions what it means to love. To put us in in an instance where he did not need to, he should not have sent his son for us who turned away from him in our sin. And why would he do that? But what he put us in in a spot, a high position, and he sent his son to die on the cross for us. He calls us to do that to other people. We should, true believers should be led by God's word and God's example. Not by anything else, but the truth of God's word. A genuine love for others. These two things will lead us to godly character. I mean, he's, Paul's concluding this section. He's not separating it from the characteristics that church leaders should have. He's saying that these church leaders, 
should be examples for all of us to follow, but a faithful church, we should be able to look at that church and they're following after their leaders. They want to love one another. They want to not lie to one another. They want to forgive people when they're, they're wronged. They seek out people when there's something that's between them and they want to make sure that that's dealt with. They want joy together. They want to celebrate with one another. That's what true fellowship in Christ looks like. True believers should be led by God, the characteristics of God, and should be seen amongst us. What else do we find about descriptions of a faithful church? That brings us to the second uh, description. Number two, a faithful church understands who they follow and why they serve. A faithful church understands who they follow and why they serve. Look at verse 15. It says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So what are we talking about? The church itself is the body of Christ, the believers that join together to worship, but whose, whose possession are they? It says that they're the household of God. God is the one who owns the church and possesses, is in possession of the church. And it says, which is the church of the living God, so specifically lays it out there for us. So what does it mean? It means that a faithful church understands who they follow and why they serve. Godly churches, they promote God, right? And as we look at godly churches, what we look at is godly leaders who promote God. It's unfortunate to say that as we look at our culture, we have seen examples of ungodly leaders, that their main purpose was really not to promote God. It was to promote themselves. It was to promote how good they were. It was to promote, get to be part of our church because it's growing immensely and it's all about what the church can look like, what the church can do, what the church can accomplish. But who did they leave aside? They left God aside. We can see that there's multiple churches, that that is the example that the leaders are presenting, not God, not God, but whatever else can put in the place of God. Here at Faith Baptist Church and as a leader here at church, I want God to be the one that we serve, God to be the one that we follow. And I challenge you to have the same idea. If you want to join with us, that's what we look to because we know it's God's household. It's not ours. It says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. God is the one that we follow and serve, which is the church of the living God. This even plays into how we serve. So what what does this look like? It looks like the church, we know in a faithful church, that first of all, the church belongs to God. Second of all, we also know that the church is for serving God. It's not for serving myself. That means that's going to uh, play into every way that we look or think about the church. It's going to play into how we look at service. You know, you can hear Pastor Dan or myself say, get involved, get to be part of a Sunday school teacher, get to do this, get to do that. And you might just think, well, service is the, is the key. I just got to be serving somewhere. But what if you get into that service and you look around at other people and you say, well, they're not serving. He's not serving. Look at everything that I'm doing. I'm taking on all of this stuff and it's all, this is not making me happy, right? Because everyone else is doing nothing. Where is your service lane right there? Is it really keeping a mindset on who you're serving and why you're doing it? Or is it starting to be swayed by, look at other people. It's, it's being swayed by other people. And God wants us to realize that what we're doing here in the church as a church family is for him. When we serve in VBS, when we 
you know, say, hey, I'll, I'll be a nursery worker. You're pleasing God. You're serving God. We got to keep that mindset front and center because I don't know about you, but I'm just like you, and I, I get tempted to, to, to get, you know, annoyed at service because, hey, what, what about this? What about that's going on? But we got to keep our mind on who we're serving. We're serving God. It's his church. The reason that we serve is because we want to give ourselves completely to him. We also see that with this, gathering with the church and being a part of his service is important. It's important. I mean, it's a question that we can ask is, where am I serving? Am I okay if I am in no area of service? I just come and I take and that's all I do. Yeah? That shouldn't be a, a true, genuine Christian. Should not be okay with that. We've we got to say, where can I serve? Where am I serving? If I'm serving nowhere in that instance, you've got to say, where can I serve? Can I go ask the pastors where, what opportunities that we have? We have multiple things, and it's not just teaching. There's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on in the church. There are a lot of different areas. Where are you serving today? It's important for us to gather together and be together. One of the areas is in morning worship and morning service. Uh, One of the things Kent Hughes, a commentator on this section, says, he says this, Listening to the word of God alone is a good thing, and singing to God alone is also a good thing. But singing to God together and hearing his word preached together is better. Our hearing and singing intensify when we are with brothers and sisters in whom God also dwells. At home, says Martin Luther, in my own home there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. What's he alluding to? He, he's alluding to the gathered church and the importance of it. And maybe you've had this, uh, th- this uh, scenario take place in your life too. You can sing the same song, you can hear it on the radio, and you like it, but it just doesn't stick out to you as much. You sing that same song at church together, you're focusing on the words a little bit more, and God does something. He uses something as a gathered church the Holy Spirit of all of us joining together to really intensify what we're doing, the importance of being together. A faithful church understands who they follow and why they serve. That brings us to the third uh, description of a faithful church. Number three, a faithful church upholds the truths of God's word. Upholds the truths of God's word. Parents, do you remember those interactions with your kids where you're trying to find out the truth, and for some reason, somehow, nobody knows. Nobody knows at all. Okay, I just had this a little bit ago with the kids. We've got a little bike, and the bike's got training wheels on it. And uh, we had it around. We had a family camping weekend, and so that bike was out and about being used. And I put it away multiple times. Now, to say, there are none of my kids that have to use a bike with training wheels. So this is just an extra bike we have laying around. I've put it away multiple times, and I've told them, hey, what are we bringing this bike out for? We don't need it. Well, I come back the next day. Of course, the bike's out in the middle of the yard again. And I'm thinking, what? what's going on here? So, of course, you go about asking questions, saying, who brought this, who brought this bike out? Well, I didn't do it. I don't know who did it. Well, maybe, it was, maybe it was Bella. Maybe it was, I didn't do it. I worked all the way down to all of them. And somehow, that bike magically made its way out because nobody knew how to do it. What's the deal? Uh, the thing is, Nobody knows who the truth is, and the one who does know the truth, they're pushing it aside, and it's not important. As we come to God's word, what do we find about the church? We don't push the truth aside. We don't try to sidestep it or only listen to what we want 
the truth to say, and I'm only going to do what, what the, thing, the truth is that I know that I want to do. The other ones that I know are truths, I'm just going to push to the side. No, we search out the truth. We search out when we have questions. We, we want to know what the Bible says about it. And when we find it, we submit to it. That's what we find happening here. <clears throat> Look at verse 15 again. He wants us to know how to behave in the household of God. It says, which is the church of the living God? And then he ends that verse with saying, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, buttress is a weird, weird word, right? But really all it means is foundation. We don't use that word as much. So he's saying the truth is, or excuse me, the church is a pillar and a foundation of the truth. It's given this, this picture, and in the time that he's writing, there are many big buildings going up in the Roman world that had columns, that had pillars, and they're holding up huge structures. And on t- uh, those pillars are, of course, going on top of a foundation, and you know, if you've ever had to search for a house to buy, if you have a house with a bad foundation, ah, you kind of want to stay away from it. It's going to take a lot of work to get that thing back to where it needs to, to be so that you can make it livable. He says that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's holding up the truth, and the truth that it's alluding to is God's word. So what does that mean for a faithful church? What it means, first of all, a faithful church seeks out the truth. A faithful church seeks out the truth. When it has a question, when it has something that it's not sure of, people in the church, we seek it out. We're not okay to just do what we've always done or say, that's how it's always been done in the past. We have a question about it. We go to Scripture and we thoroughly examine, like the Bereans in Acts, that said they heard a new teaching from Paul And what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily so that they could understand better. That's what we're committed to because we want to hold up the truth. We don't want to hold up my opinions, Pastor Jim's opinions. We don't want to hold up Pastor Dan's opinions or any individual's opinions. We want to hold up the truth of God's word. A faithful church seeks out the truth. Secondly, a faithful church submits to the truth. Once they've, they've examined it, they know what the truth says in God's word, <clears throat> it doesn't matter at that point how I feel. If it's studied in a right way, which means <clears throat> in the historical context of the author and understandably how the author is meant, uh, has meant that when he wrote it, and it comes to us and the truth is made known through those exact words given in Scripture, then a faithful church and individuals in that church, they submit to it and they say, God's the one who's in charge. I'm going to listen to his word. We're going to proclaim that word. And that's the last part of it. A faithful church holds up the truth. Holds up the truth. When they find the truth, they are not okay with putting that aside and saying, ah, I know what it says, but I don't like what it says, so I'm just going to put it to the side. No, they hold it up. And they say, God is God. I am not. I'm going to follow what God tells me. What do these truths include that we seek out, we submit, and we hold up? Well, they include the truths about God and his character, about who God is. I mean, a lot of these things are attacked by culture, attacked by people who, who want God to be whoever they want him to be. And so when we see the truth about God and his word, we hold that up. He is a loving and kind God, but he's also a God that is just and a God that because he is so good, he cannot stand for the evil that is done, that has not been taken care of. That means that people are going to be punished for their sin if it has not been covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if that includes you or me, that means we are going to be punished 
for the sins that we have, the sins that we've had since our birth. We've had a sin nature. We continue to sin, and we need someone to step into our place and take that penalty for us. If it's not Jesus Christ, it's going to be you. You're going to have to. Those are truths that we hold up as a church, the truth about God and his character. We also hold up the truth about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And God isn't left with being a just, evil, bad God that has to pay with sin. No, we see his loving kind uh, and side through the character and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ willingly came to this world so that he could cover our sin. He went to the cross. He died so that you didn't have to die and you didn't have to pay for your sin, Jesus Christ. We tell the truth also as a faithful church about sin. Sin is not something that is just, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, everybody sins, everybody has struggles, you know. No, we see it as an offense against God. We don't say that we're perfect. We know that we struggle. And the closer, actually, that we get to God, our sins become more clear to us and even more vivid, where we, we start to hate our sin more because we love the God that we love through Jesus Christ. We love him so much that we don't want our sin. And we see that. So we tell the truth about sin. Sin is not good, and God has to punish it. We also tell the truth about what, what God expects of his followers. We tell the truth about what God expects of his followers. To put off sin, to live for him, to, to not live for this world. We are committed to doing that. John MacArthur, he explains it in this way. He says, The church does not invent the truth and alters it only at the cost of judgment. It is to support and safeguard it. It is the sacred, saving treasure given to sinners for their forgiveness and to believers for their sanctification and edification, that they might live for the glory of God. The church has the stewardship of Scripture, the duty to guard it as the most precious possession on earth. Churches that tamper with, misrepresent, depreciate, delegate to secondary place or abandon biblical truth destroy their only reason for existing and experience impotence and judgment. What's he saying? The truth of God's word is what we hold up as a church. And as we see it, we submit to it, we tell others about it. That's what we want here at Faith Baptist Church. We want to be people that see God, love God, see his word, love his word, teach the truth of that to the people around us. A fourth and final description of a faithful church is a faithful church is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we find happening is at the end of this section, verse 16, Paul transitions to what the church is really built on. We are, we are the foundation that holds up the truth, but what is that foundation built on? <clears throat> none, other, none other than the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And this idea, this description of the mystery of godliness uh, the word mystery there is actually used to talk about something in the Old Testament that was not understood. It was somewhat of a mystery, but as you get to the New Testament, it has been revealed to us. And it's none other than the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mystery, and it's only through him that we can obtain godliness because he covers us. And just like that transition happens as a person believes in Christ, accepts salvation, his holiness and righteousness is given to us. And you know what Jesus gets on our behalf? Our sinfulness. He takes it on himself. He paid for that penalty on the cross. <clears throat> There's that transition. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. 
So it's talking about Jesus Christ. It's made so clear here. It says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. We can divide these out specifically. He says he is manifested in the flesh. He was a real, live person. He came in eternity, or not eternity, he existed eternity past, but at a point in time he came, he took on human flesh so that he could do what his father wanted him to do, go to the cross and die for our sins. Vindicated by the Spirit. That means that through the Spirit, his resurrection was made complete. And we can go to the book of Romans to actually have that explained for us. The Spirit shows he did what he came to do, and the Father accepted his payment for the sins of the world. Then, we, <clears throat> Jesus was seen by angels and proclaimed by the nations. He was seen by spirit, spiritual beings, even at his birth and taking on human flesh. We remember the angels singing songs in the, in the sky about Jesus coming. And then at his, at his resurrection, he went to, the angels were there as well. Proclaimed among the nations. Jesus' name goes out among the nations. And that explains the last two. Believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection prove who he was and what he did for us. He was the Son of God, and he came to pay for the sins of the world. The question is, has he paid for your sins? Have you accepted? I, you've probably heard this story multiple times. I, you know, I know who Jesus is. I've heard that story. I've heard the birth story of... But have you given your heart to him? Have you, have you taken your, a good look at yourself and say, my life is not about me. It's about my Savior because I've accepted him. I know that I have a penalty. And that's the thing. As we go <clears throat> and we look at Jesus, the only reason he's come into this world but was not just to heal people. He healed multiple people. It wasn't about his miracles. Those were just proving who he was so that we would understand that he was God's son, the only true one that could go to the cross and pay for our sin. You know, why couldn't somebody else go to the cross and pay for our sins? Because we all have our own sin that we need to pay for. Jesus was perfect. He was the sacrificial white lamb that, that had to be slain for the sins of the world. Now, as we look at our life, we know from birth we have a sin nature, and that sin nature causes God to have to punish us, but that's not where it ends. Jesus loved us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me, but we have to accept him. If we don't accept him, and accept him doesn't mean I had this one prayer a long time ago that I said I trust in Jesus. Accepting him is with your heart. Your heart now is saying, life is not about me anymore. It's about my Savior. It's not even about the one word or one sentence you said where, Jesus, please forgive me. Does that have to take place? Yeah, but it says that with our mouth, we say those things, but with our heart, we believe. Our heart is what has to be changed. And, and, and in a changed heart, you no longer live for this world. And, and that's what we can look at. Are you living for this world? Are you living for whatever's next in this world? Or are you saying, God, whatever you want my life to be, I want it to be for you. That's what a true believer looks like. And as we come together as a church, as a family of uh, believers that have the Holy Spirit working inside of us, that's what we want to hold up. The gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he is everything worthy of our whole life and giving up our life for him will daily take up our cross and follow him because of how worthwhile he is to follow. Does that describe you today? That's what we want to grow in as a church. And as we look at what Paul is trying to tell to Timothy, that's what he's saying. 
He's saying, teach them to be a faithful church. And, and as they go, it's going to be growing at times, but be faithful to my word. Be faithful to giving the truth and holding up the truth. That's what he wants of you and for me and for us as a church body. Let's bow in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time in your word and these challenges from Scripture and the importance of uh, the church family that we can really hold to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. We ask that you guide and direct this church. We want to be a church that's faithful. And so, God, help us. Help us to keep growing in you and loving you more. In Jesus' name, amen.